Hello and good morning to next episode of the podcast. Um, so it's all happening in many ways. So it's now Monday morning and again seems to have set a trend at least with those two podcasts recorded yesterday morning in that again I'm up early, thought out for a little walk around the neighbourhood um, and what the heck, let's record another podcast. Let's see how far we get with this one. Probably be a shorter one probably around about 20 minutes or so, but we'll see. Um, again, as is often the case, not sure exactly what I'm going to talk about, but that's all part of the fun. Where I probably will start is with today being Monday the 1st of July. Monday, start of the week. Historically for me, always a challenge. So around this time, between 7, 7.30, on a Monday morning, any workday morning, I would really get anxious lying in bed, knowing as that 7.30 approaching, time to get up. I just was feeling very anxious. Um, and, um, but then wasn't able to just get up out of bed and do something. That's one of the big differences. So now, unable to sleep or waking up early, about six o'clock, sometimes much earlier than that, I thought, well, I'll get up, do stuff, and I even go out for a walk. So it's again a lovely day. Um, but the important thing about today for us is that I think we're deciding that we're essentially going to give notice on the flat we live in. Da, da, da. So I'm not sure if I said in the previous one why I was mentioning our soon-to-be new member of the family. A nine member, that's a dog to you and me. Um, a little puppy called Ziggy, who is due to join us, hopefully in the next three weeks. He's only five weeks old now. He's with his mum and siblings. They have to have a couple more injections, I think. And we can pick him up later this month. So when we had decided that we were going to take on Ziggy, have him as a pet. Um, we wanted to just double check with our landlord that that might be possible. It does say in the tenancy agreement that uh, that might be possible and it turns out it wasn't. Um, they thought it was quite reasonable to say no actually you had other uh, tenants and other neighbours who have asked over the years and that's always been no. So there's no give on that. So I did say then when in which case it's quite likely we will, well, we will be giving him notice as soon as we have somewhere to move to. Well, it's not as if come Monday we've now got somewhere to move to. A couple of places locally that would hope for, well, it would be lovely. I mean, they're bigger than what we've got. More bedrooms, garden, of course the rent's more. Uh, but still, that's what we need to do. And my feeling this morning is to bite the bullet and give notice on the flat, which means we have this month so the 1st of July today, up until of course the end of July or the 1st of August, to get somewhere, to move out. The only thing that's hesitating me as I get near to the main road, so forgive me if at the moment you're hearing traffic go past along the Watford Road as people on their Monday mornings do their commutes towards Watford and beyond. Um, so hopefully I'll just try to cup the microphone so it's a little bit clearer. So I wanted to check with our landlords that um, 
if we do give notice that they won't play hardball and say, OK, well, that's it, you've got one month from today and that's it. I would hope that if it turns out between now and the end of July, we haven't quite got something sorted and we might need an extra week or two or something like that, they will be flexible with it. We have been there for eight years, paying rent for eight years, on time, being good tenants. In fact, I think we are the longest residing tenants in that particular building, the six flats. Um, so I'm hopeful of that. And if they really want to be funny about it, I'll say, okay, well, in which case, then we're still going to have any notice because we've got to find somewhere else to live. So that's one thing will happen today. So all change. So in some ways, it's been a very eventful week um, since last Monday, because last Monday we didn't know that Ziggy, I'm not sure if even Rachel had made contact at that point. I think it may be on the, the Sunday, Monday of last week because we'd been to the Dogs Trust locally on the Sunday, the previous weekend, in the hope to find a particular dog that I knew was being rehomed there. But what we're discovering is the Dogs Trust, fantastic place that it is, many of their dogs are ones that have maybe had, let's use the word, troubled upbringings, not been looked after in the best way, needs to be rehomed, and therefore, as a consequence, they'll tend to say adults only, not go for kids who are under teenage years and so on. So it was unlikely we were able to get something through the Dogs Trust. So on that basis, I think Rachel started looking elsewhere, found somewhere that um, one could get a particular dog. Right, I'm rambling now, and I'm already out of breath as I walk up this hill. Um, so that's been the last week or so, going from, oh, it would be nice to have a dog at some point, to, uh, oh, look, start getting a dog. Oh, we're getting a dog. Dog will be on its way. Um, and again, forgive me for repeating myself, and I said this in an earlier recording. Um, start of this year, I remember saying to the family, to the girls, to say, my prediction is that we will have a dog by Christmas this year. So by, by the time we get to Christmas, we'll have a dog. And they go, oh, that's really exciting. I said, oh, listen to what I said. I said, it's a prediction, not a promise. Me being my pedantic self. So I'm not promising, can't promise that. But my prediction is things may work out in such a way that we will. And then towards the last few weeks, I was thinking to myself, well, if it got to a few days before Christmas or even Christmas Eve and we hadn't, I'd be out there trying to find a dog to have there on Christmas Day. But anyway, events have overtaken us and it looks like we will have a dog with us, Ziggy. I'm not sure if you've said in the last recording. He's a cocker spaniel. He's a puppy cocker spaniel, and he's gorgeous. Uh, and he needs a home. And by the end of this month, we will have him. Now, whether or not our home is where we currently are, whether it's going to be somewhere else, we get to find out. So that's one big, one big moving thing. And then, so the other thing. If I was to move on to diary type entries for today. Um. I'll be going into London, so there's no need to go into university today. So uh, I won't be doing that. I've got several meetings lined up in London. 
all of which I think, no, well, one is a, a Skype call and that's with a student and the others are all broadly aimed around other types of activity which could be income generation for the university, hopefully income generation for me, because we now will have another mouth to feed and vet's bills to pay and all the other stuff that no doubt comes with having a pet which I'll get to learn because I've never had a pet. So there you go, got to almost 50 without having had a pet. And it's not as if I massively aspired to it as a child. Uh, I think, again, if anybody who knows the answer to this is listening, I doubt I might be the one listening to it, Aunt might listen to this at some point. And perhaps eventually, Mum and Sal might listen to it. But I don't think we had any, I think the only pets we had, or pet, was a goldfish. I think Aunt, my brother, had a goldfish. Was there a, was there a hamster at some point? So it was more my brother would have had that, but we had nothing like a... Oh, no, so my sister had a cat, but when she was um, grown up in her own flat, a little black cat called Tarquin. So I remember Tarquin. Um, but I don't think we had any other pets, so I had no pets at all of any sort. So it'll be my first pet. It'll be Freya and Connie's first pet. Uh, Rachel has had pets, she's had cats and dogs she was growing up. But still, lots for us to start giving some attention to. And it's exciting, and it's also, you know, now it's had a knock-on effect of us realising we need to move out. We've been saying that for a number of years. In fact, Rachel said when she was pregnant with Connie, who was our youngest, Oh, well, we, we've got to move then, haven't we? We can't stay here, we've got to find somewhere else because we're in a two-bedroom flat with the second bedroom being very small. That was Freya's room. So the idea was, well, we'll need to move because, okay, to begin with, Connie will be in with us, but she'll want to go into her own, uh, you know, her own bedroom. Well, we're now almost six years on, because she'll be six this year, uh, haven't moved. Connie did start off in our bedroom in the cot and then moved to a little bed. Um, in with Freya in that room and they've been fantastic really in that little room together. Um, you know, Freya's given up her little bit of space and Connie's just accommodated it and they've been really really good together so hopefully we'll get somewhere with either a bigger second bedroom so if they're still sharing they've got more space or maybe even enough to have a bedroom each if that's what they'd like. Let's see how it goes. So that's it so in terms of today we've got um, Got a meeting with a former student, um, which I've been quite keen to make contact with again. Uh, and that is in relation to us looking at a place in London that might be able to serve as a, what's the word, serve as a venue for activities, for, for alumni meetings, other kind of workshops, things that people might want to pay to be part of. So exploring those opportunities. A later meeting with someone who approached me um, at a recent symposium event that we organised where students are presenting their work and she is someone who is a personal trainer and a yoga teacher and so on and she is planning a retreat, a yoga retreat in Austria, I think near Salzburg um, and is quite keen to involve positive psychology in that so it's not just yoga it's other things as well and um, 
And so she was speaking to me about whether or not that would be something that would interest me, which it would. I mean, she's talking about, I think she already has dates set for late August this year. And bearing in mind, we're at the beginning of July. I don't know if she's done that much marketing yet. I think there's still thoughts put in there. So whether or not that's really doable in that short space of time, I don't know in terms of getting people to sign up. Um, and for me, it always this mixed feeling of, yeah, great, I mean, lovely to go to Austria and do stuff for a few days. But then that would be during the school holidays, uh, the knock-on effects of that, being away for some days, uh, and so on. So we'll see how that pans out. That's one meeting. Another meeting later in the day with someone who's been in touch with me regarding some television possibilities. And I've not done any TV work for a while, and I've always enjoyed that and in some ways to be a little bit, whatever that word is about it, um, I want to say it's money for old rope. For me anyway, I think it's just you, know, you sit and chat about something, you ask about something of there as a psychologist, hopefully talking about something you know, um, and you know, get paid a few quid to do it. So there's something impossible there, so it's for a taster, there will be much money in it, that might be interesting, might be fun, and we need all the money we can get. So that's a meeting later today, and then into the evening, discovered as I had set up these meetings that um, Richard Wiseman, who I think I mentioned in the previous episode, who was my PhD supervisor all those years ago, so over 20 years ago, um, is giving a talk this evening in London at the London Skeptics in the Pub, um, which is a, a regular event that takes place, I think probably monthly, maybe even weekly, I don't know. And uh, I've not been to one for me. In fact, really, probably ever been to one. And that one I gave a talk at something like 12 years ago. And as Rachel tell you, uh, God, I was nervous giving that talk. So it wasn't the best one. Can't remember you know, what the title of it was. I think large parts of it anywhere were pretty much drawing upon Richard's work and the luck stuff anyway which again at that time I still very much felt it was, it was his work, the, the, the luck work. Um, he was the one who kind of had the ideas for it. He had then done other work. But I was slowly returning to it, thinking there's maybe something there to explore further. Anyway, um, Rich has gone on to do so many things and his latest book at the time of recording is called Shoot for the Moon. Um, I can't remember now what the subtitle is, but it's about learning from the Apollo mindset. So I believe in the book he has spoken with people who are involved with the Apollo moon landings, uh, talked to them about how they essentially were seeking to achieve what would have been regarded as the impossible, um, and learning from that mindset and seeing if we can apply that kind of thinking in our everyday life. So very much something that appeals to me, something we can all learn from. Um, and that's to say, it's uh, Richard's latest book, and he's going to talk about that this evening in London. So I'll stick around for that. So it'll be nice to, to see him and uh, heckle from the back of the room. So that's the day. It's quite a busy day, full day, so quite excited about it. Um, yeah, and, and, and quite interesting the whole shoot for the moon stuff from the Apollo landings, because for many people, of course, absolutely iconic um, part of the 20th century. Probably some would argue it would be the most iconic part, that it's the century in which we set foot on the moon. Um, I say we, not me personally. Uh, I believe there was 12 people who set foot on the moon. 12 men. 
no women. Um, so there you go. Uh, obviously just indicative of the times, whether or not they were doing, would, would be doing um, moonshots this day and age, would they actually be a little bit more gender balanced? Mm, I suspect not still. Things may have moved on in some ways, but... And we're now, okay, so what year are we now? Yes, so it's actually the 50th anniversary this year. So he's, he's again, Richard's always very shrewd in his creativity. I'm sure it's not a coincidence that he's decided to do that book and it's hitting the 50th anniversary of the moon landings, which just took place just before I was born. So I was born in 1970. So, but relevant for this podcast, given that it was 50 years ago, approaching 50, that's one of the motivations for doing this podcast and rambling on like this. But that always makes me think of um, one of my favourite films, actually, which wasn't about the moon landings. It was based around the idea that um, uh, what's it, a mission to Mars. And the film was called Capricorn One. Loved that film. And it was really about the idea that a mission to Mars, then they realised that actually it wasn't really going to be possible. They said they're going to do it, but they couldn't really do it in practice. People would die. It cost a lot of money. It wasn't going to happen. So instead, they thought they'd fake it. Uh, and it's a brilliant film. I love it. And I think if I remember correctly, it's quite clearly a reference to the claims that the moon landings never took place. And I think when they first devised and pitched and wrote the movie, it was going to be around moon landing. But then they decided to just change it slightly to make it not quite so pointed. Um, but if you've not seen the film Capricorn 1, I'd encourage you to go back and, and watch that. Um, so anyway, that's about moon landings, Mars missions, and again, even now, 50 years on, uh, I don't think, well, I was going to say, I don't think I'm that much closer to going to, the, to Mars, but I'm sure there'll be somebody who would tell me otherwise, and saying, oh, absolutely, there's plenty going on, which means we are closer to maybe uh, travelling to Mars, setting foot on Mars, maybe even setting up some kind of colonies on Mars, which again, if I remember as a kid, a lot, of the, a lot of the science fiction would have been of that nature, mission to Mars and various things about this idea that we'll soon go to Mars and other planets. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So that's the plan for today. I was maybe expecting some of the phone calls and conversations. Let me just see if no one's come through. Um, so I'm going to probably leave it there. I'm going to just have a quick check as I walk along. We're at 18 minutes, so we can probably take it to 20 minutes to be pretty much done. Um, yes, it's a busy day. And the thing at the moment is, because I've just rambled on different things, I probably don't know what this podcast is going to be called. So again, by the time you listen to it, you hopefully will have an idea, because I'll give it some kind of label. Um, but anyway, so that's Monday morning. Um, I could say Monday morning blues, but actually only blue in the sense that the sky is blue. Uh, which of course it is every day. It's just that many days, at least here in the United Kingdom, you don't see it. You don't see the sky. It's covered by so much cloud. Well, today you can see it. It's been a glorious weekend of sunshine with being able to see that blue sky. And that makes you think that maybe on a future episode, I speak to a student or alumni, I'm not quite sure if he's completed his degree, from the University of East London, and his name is Paul Conway, who I met recently, and he's done some work on what he calls skycology. 
essentially the, the positive psychology impact of looking at the sky. So there you go, just stop there at that moment, next to a stop sign. There you go, following the sign, stop. I'm looking up, so Paul, if you ever listen to this, you'll be proud of me. I'm looking up into the sky, seeing blue sky, few clouds whispering past. Uh, and it wouldn't be great if as I looked up, I happened to see the moon, which I don't. I'm blocking out the sun, so I can't see the moon, but often on these mornings you can look up and see the moon. And that, I believe, can be a really awe-inspiring um, experience. Just seeing the moon, looking at the fact that people walk on the moon, and maybe in a later one, we'll get Connie to talk you through how many people have walked on the moon, because she's learnt six of them. So I'll leave you that little quiz question. Without Googling it, without going off and finding the actual answer, can you know, yes, if you can leave a, a comment here, or if you can leave a message or something, be honest, if someone said to you, who was the third man on the moon, would you be able to answer? So the question is, who was the third man on the moon? Connie knows the answer, because we looked it up and explored it and, and talked about it. Uh, I think not many people know who the third man on the moon was, the third man to walk on the moon. See if you can find that, well, not find it out, but you can Google it. Does anybody know that answer without, without uh, searching for it? And with that in mind, I'll say thank you, and I uh, hope you all have a lovely day, start of the week and speak to you again soon. Bye-bye for now.